All right. Welcome back to the Encounter Grow Witness podcast. I'm so blessed to be here with uh, Beth Spazarni. Beth, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. How about you? Great. Doing great. Feel very blessed by uh, all that uh, we've had to experience this Lent and uh, the joy of the Easter season, the joy of sharing the resurrection uh, with the Lord. So uh, just excited for that. And warmer weather is always better. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Flowers and green grass. Yeah. And uh, more sunshine, more daylight too, right? Those kind of uh, short days. Are you a fan of daylight saving? Daylight saving As a mother of young children, I have to say no, I'm not. Because the children, it just ruins a week or two of life. Yeah. On both ends. How about you? As someone who does not have young children, I like it a lot, but I don't have to deal with all the all the mess that you have to deal with. I was trying to explain to them, like, well, it's not five o'clock anymore. Now it's four o'clock. And they were like, just baffled by that. They were like, how long has this been going on? And I said, your entire life. This is the first time I'm informing you. Did you have him read the last couple of books of Augustine's Confessions, where he talks about the the nature of time and uh, how relative it is? Maybe I'll maybe I'll save that for like the next birthday. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, just something to think about. Again, yeah. your kids are four I'll years old. I'll put it on old. their reading list. <laughs> four, six, and eight. Eight-year-old, uh, he might be yeah. ready. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of stretch them, right? Stretch their. Uh... Well, I like that idea. Yeah. Okay. I will give that considered attention. Uh, yes, what I that's, hear you say. that's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, kind of being on the backside of Lent here, uh, we were talking, uh, it might be fun to just grade our Lent, grade how you did this Lent. Um, and so I think, uh, you know, as someone who is fighting against grade inflation, where everyone gets an A and everyone uh, gets an A minus if you don't get an A, I think my Lent was just okay. I'm going to give it a C plus. I did spend more time. I did spend more time in prayer. And I did, uh, you know, I talked about not going out to eat during Lent. Um, I did better than I would normally do when it isn't Lent, but I didn't do great. I cheated a number of times when I found an excuse for something else. And so, um, you know, I would say I got a C plus this Lent. Uh, Not fantastic, but I don't think it was an abject failure. So so that's where I'm going to go. You're a tough grader. (laughs) What's that? I bet you're a tough grader, huh? I am. Yeah, I think so. You know, insert rant here about great inflation. I think it's a real problem. It's, uh, you know, the number one problem in America right now is great. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, I can't think of anything else that would be relevant. What what more could be a problem? No, I can't think of anything. Yeah, no. Well, um, yeah. So, be warned. So, <laughs> be warned. Uh, so a C plus is how I'm going to give plus. my mind. All right. um, Beth? Okay. Well, I'm going to give myself a different grade, but different graders, right? So yeah, yeah, I would yeah. give myself a B. Okay. So the fail was uh, with the kids. We had planned to like read a piece of scripture every night and like that a sticker. We're going to put it on it for every single day. And you know what I found? I don't like having something to do during dinner aside from mm-hmm. eat and make sure other people can eat. So that was kind of a fail. I think we hit it maybe half of the time. But the other main thing we were doing was um, trying to cut down on our grocery bill. Yeah. Which did kind of lean into our natural frugality. Um, (laughs) So that was helpful. But what was neat is there was a real solidarity with the poor, right? Like, oh, I go to the pantry and no, there isn't that. Like, well, 
okay, so there isn't that. So we have to come up with something else. So yeah. some of the dinners were creative and bummerish, but some of them were great, right? There was, there was still food. It just wasn't maybe what you wanted. But then what was cool is every single week, whatever we didn't spend, we then picked a charity and actually donated it, right? So that was super compelling. So then when I go and I'm like, why aren't there any snacks that I want to eat? I know why. <laughs> Look at this is like this is like A plus kind of stuff. And the I'm the hard didn't trading. happen. The other part didn't happen, and that decade of the rosary didn't always happen either. But okay. don't tell anyone. Um, was there any meal that frugality demanded that will live <sighs> on past Lent, or were Excellent. they all were they all like, hey, we got through this. That's We're never going to do the, you know. Um, lima bean and gravy salad so we had an extra turkey we baked that i bought an extra turkey i got this turkey for four bucks in november so it was just hanging out so for the first sunday in lent we cooked a turkey kids were a little confused they were like is there pie i'm like "Mm, no it's still lent but we are having a turkey anyway so that was a little confusing but then that turkey lived on Mm. as was intended to do so i ended up making this uh turkey broccoli bake and it just, I don't know, it wasn't, I don't think that one's going to last. I'm i am ready to say goodbye to that. Okay. I'm sure well, there was something that was worthy of maintaining and keeping, but not that well, goodbye. Well, goodbye, turkey, broccoli, bake. That's correct. Bizarre turkey, broccoli, bake. Yeah. Uh, you won't see that in an upcoming cookbook, I'm guessing. I don't think so, no. Um, one of the other things we talked about is just uh, kind of reading stuff. So Beth, what are you reading these days? Yeah, so I'm taking a class on biblical, the interpretive biblical hermeneutics. Um, So I'm reading about right now, we're knee deep into the origins of biblical criticism, uh, which is good stuff. My professor said, well, this week we're learning about the destroyers of Christian culture. So buckle in. We all did. And it is a very, I mean, it's just a wild story, but you can see how intellectually we we got there. And that's where some of our scholarly work has gotten. So it's been a fascinating read. Dense, but fascinating. It's awesome. Yeah. How about you? What are you reading? Sir? I am reading a novel these days called nice. the, the Berry Giant. It's a, I don't read a lot of fantasy and I don't know how I came across this actually. I think I just, I saw it in an airport a couple of years ago and it struck me as interesting, but uh, it's a novel from, I don't know, five or six years ago set in, um, in medieval England. And it follows this elderly couple as a journey to find their son and um, memory is a big issue of it. So mm-hmm. no one is able to have long-term memories there. So they have these faint ideas of where their son is, um, why they don't see him now. Um, and I'm just really enjoying it. It's a uh, kind of mm-hmm. a break from my usual reading and uh, I've found it to be a fun novel to dive into. Mm-hmm. So I'm enjoying that. Nice. But we're here not just to talk about the wonderful Lent that Beth had or the cool books that I'm reading, uh, but we're here to talk about uh, our topic that uh, we've been going back and forth about what the title should be. It's essentially about community, but I think it's a richer, fun term to call it communio, uh, which has this kind of tradition in the church to speak about what it means for us to be together. Um, community can just mean so many different things. And that's why I think to call it community, you know, there's, there's lots of different, like a bridge club can have community or a travel club or a book club or, or, you know, community can just mean so many things that when we talk about the community of the church, there's a supernatural depth to it. And uh, I think uh, it's just, yeah. So I'm going to use the term communio 
to talk about this, uh, to give it that depth and to highlight that. But uh, I really wanted to talk about this topic. Last month, uh, Beth kind of led us with uh, keeping the most important thing, the most important thing. But I thought community and communio is so important because we're coming out of, hopefully coming out of, um, you know, you keep using this term, the great pause. Is yeah. that is that right? Yeah, well, it came from your day of, um, your parish day of renewal. Um, it was uh, that, a speaker, uh, yeah, who she, she shared that, stands. Yeah, Julianne stands. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, she shared that. Yeah, the great pause. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, where our lives just stopped being what they normally were and stopped being... Yeah how we live them. Um, And I think one of the things that suffered a lot in that was friendship, relationship. Um, We see that in mental health too, the way we're made not to be isolated. You know, in the Garden of Eden, the Lord says about Adam, it's not good for man to be alone. That's not just in a marital way, but that's in a way that we're made um, to be in communion with each other, to, to share our lives with other people. Um, let's just talk for a minute about the, uh, the time during the pandemic. You know, I live here at Sacred Heart Seminary and all the seminarians went home, but there were like seven or eight priests who stayed here. And, uh, it was in my mind, you know, probably a blessing that lots of other people didn't experience. I talked with a lot of people who lived on their own. And so it was very isolating for us. It was challenging and difficult and a new way to live our lives but we got to be together and we got to share a meal, share, you know, watch a movie together, pray together, um, share our lives together. Um, Beth, what was it like, you know, for your family or your Mm. pod, as some people talk about it during the time of the uh, pandemic? Yeah, I think it was challenging. I think not being in relationship with people or being in relationship with people that's only transactional is real challenging. So like, there's lots of things I'm working on or whatever that, you know, yeah, but then not having those human relationships, the contact, just wasting time with each other talking, none of that really happened. Um, we didn't talk to the neighbors. We didn't, yeah, nothing. So it's just us and our kids. And, you know, it was it was very isolating, I think. And definitely, I, I think less so than like those who live alone, right? Yeah. I was, we were, you know, with our kids. So that's great. But then it's also, it's a different kind of stretching um, to be with your kids and still have professional responsibilities and ministry things and, you know, all of that. But I mean, I think isolation was a problem even well before this, you know, but mm. I think this exacerbated where we were, you know, there was a study in 2017 in Vancouver that, that found that loneliness and social isolation was the greatest challenge facing our large cities. And I, that more than poverty, more than affordable housing, more than jobs, more than any of those things. More was than the social great isolation. inflation. Yeah. More than great inflation even? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, great sorry. inflation. Look at you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm no, like, is but... that a civic thing I'm not aware of? <laughs> like grading the water level? No. Yeah. 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 So, so not to make light of it, but yeah. it is to say like we're, you know, our humanity is meant to be shared with each other. And so um, Mother Teresa talked about this. The greatest poverty people have is not physical poverty, but it's it's not having love. It's not being loved and loving other people. Yeah. Um, even before we talk about it in a uh, faith-based way, to talk about it in our humanity, right? we're not made to live in isolation, that that does challenging things to us. And um, it just makes us less human. You talked about that study 
from Vancouver, you know, I know there were studies, especially about young people, young adults, the rates of thinking about suicide, thinking about harming themselves and actually doing it increased significantly during the pandemic because people didn't have that sense of community that they were used to. They didn't have that kind of uh, check. And I think you're right. You know, we see this long before the pandemic, um, you know, even uh, a few years ago, I had uh, jury duty. And when you're waiting in jury duty, the uh, Frank Murphy Hall of Justice here in Detroit, um, <laughs> there is no, you can't bring your phone in there. And can you talk? Like, you can talk with each other, oh. but it's this weird, like, it was very weird to me because very few other settings are you with just all these strangers and strangers. no one has a phone. And so yeah. these little pockets of conversation start up and mm -hmm. it's actually beautiful, right? Because you don't have the, what I would say, kind yeah. of the crutch to go back to your phone and just kind yeah. of hide out on that. Um, so our humanity is made to be with other people. And there's a way that's really beautiful and we need it. There's also a way that costs something because yeah. to enter into community means I have to be vulnerable. I have to mm -hmm. kind of be willing to not know what to do um, and to get to know someone and to let someone into my life. But it's crucial. It's crucial for happiness. Uh, it's crucial for our growth as, as men and women and all the more so as Catholics because God mm -hmm. came down to dwell among us. He came to enter into our community and he wants to share his communion with us. Um, you know, I've, I've done a few conversations with people about uh, live stream masses and when's the right time to come back. It is categorically different to be in person than to watch it on, yeah. uh, on TV or through the internet because the sacraments are meant to be related to us uh, interpersonally, right? Like there's a huge difference when I'm with someone else and uh, someone says the body of Christ to me and gives me the Eucharist or someone smiles at me or I'm anointed um, or I hear the words of absolution in person versus just being in a screen. Do you see this in your own like ministry or, or working with people at Shrine there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just going to mass. I remember when we first started out the live streams and, you know, I set up, we tried to make the space at home holy and, you know, but when it ended, the screen just went black it, and it was like the, the priest walked out and it just uh, was unplugged. There wasn't like another screen after or like a thanks so much or, you know, it just was over, you know, and it was just such an isolating reality to be like, I'm watching mass. I'm not receiving the Eucharist. I'm, I can't see anyone. I, I'm not seeing and it's just, it was just very, and then coming back, I agree, it's just night and day, right? Um, but, you know, I was reflecting on that bit and unleash the gospel in the section on communion. God relates to his people, not as isolated individuals, but as a, as a people, a family united with one another in deep bonds of love. Like we are a people, you know, and even if, um, even if community in our churches is still a work in progress, like just being seen by others, um, being seen and seeing others. And like, I look around and I see my family. That's what I always tell my kids. We're going to pray with our, our family. As we were having masses come back, I think one of the, you know, we're all trying to figure out how to do this, but I think one of the things that didn't work was the systematic dismissal of people, either after communion or to say, like, you have to leave pew by pew and don't <laughs> talk to anyone and just go yeah. back to your car, right? Like, we were all figuring yeah. it out. So this isn't to cast blame on any parish that did that. But I just heard from so many people, like, 
it wasn't the same experience. It's not the same as seeing each other or, you know, when you talked about shutting the screen off, that's what I thought we were kind of like recreating that in at church when, you know, as soon as you receive communion, you need to leave, get in your car and go home. Yeah. Um, it was like that in, in-person way of shutting the screen off um, because there's so much of the um, kind of buttressing of the sacred that happens at church with the, the human fraternity, the human community we have by seeing each other as we come in or as we leave and, you know, just even that small talk. And yet, I, I mean, I, I agree. And I, you know, we also, you know, I've seen signs in all the churches, you know, don't congregate afterwards, you have to clean space and, you know, stop the spread, all of that. And, you know, here's a scary thought, like, let's say there was no COVID, would it be necessary to put that sign up? <laughs> I don't know, like <laughs> we're already doing that. Yeah, we're. I mean, what percent of our of our mass goers even are really stopping and talking or known by someone else there? I just, I don't know. I think it's a real area of growth for us. That, I mean, people leave early so that they don't have to you know, wait for other people at the door. You know, it, I don't yeah. know. Well, I mean, I've certainly seen community done well, uh, communio done well, and done poorly. Um, any thought, like, let's talk about that for a little bit. Have you seen it done well? Do you have an example of where this kind of building up of, of Christian community has worked well? Yeah, yeah. Lots of things came to mind as I was really reflecting on that question. And I think the one that really stood out to me a number of years ago, I was coordinating small groups at our parish that we were starting for Lent. And we had done it one year and, you know, really invited the whole parish and had a good response. And then the second year I was responsible. So we were launching it. And there was one woman who signed up who was a young mother. And she's like, I'd love to be in a group with other young mothers. And I was like, young mothers, you're never going to get a group of young mothers. Like they don't have any time. When would they even do it? If they're working, if they're, it's just, it, it seemed impossible. Well, I just started reaching out to a few and pretty soon there were eight or nine of us and we met for years and it was incredible. And, um, you know, one at the, towards the, the tail end of it, um, I, invited we, we were talking about like wouldn't it be great if we got our whole families together because the women we all knew each other but the husbands didn't the children didn't you know so I was like oh yeah of course we should you know no problem I'll host well there were 38 people once you have the whole and nearly 20 of them were under the age of 10 so that was pretty wild so we I hosted it at my house and just seeing like the noise and the the pile of shoes and seeing conversations happen between people that you're like, oh, you didn't even know each other or like seeing our kids connect. It was, it just was so moving to think of like, this is what it would have been like for the early church, right? Like people are taking care of other kids, like, oh, that this isn't my kid, but of course I can get you a glass of water. No problem. And like, oh, I don't know if that's a good idea, Johnny. <laughs> you don't know me, but I know your mom. And I don't think she'd like that. <laughs> you know, like it's just people together. loving yeah. together. My brother-in-law would call that a goat rodeo. Which is not the most most flattering term, (laughs) but I think it is like the chaos of having that many people and especially little kids together, right? There is a part of building community or being in that community where you lose control over (laughs) coordinating (laughs) every part of it and it just happens the way it's going to happen organically. It's like a beautiful mess. Yeah. Uh, I know for me, I'll share kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum of 38 people getting together. Um, (laughs) You know, the the guys I was ordained with, the group that I've gone through, went through seminary with. Um, so right now there's five of us uh, from Detroit and then about 11 um, kind of the bigger group who are not from Detroit. So the smaller group, we get together about once a month, sometimes more, uh, less frequently. Um, 
but it's something we've we committed to in seminary that we said, you know, we want this to be part of our lives. We're going to figure out how to make it work. Um, it's usually messy because schedules pull each other, um, pull us in different places at different times. And um, but it is so beautiful in for me to see the way God has worked through these men to help me grow closer to Christ, to share the joys of priesthood together, the struggles together, to share funny things that happen, um, to share our successes and our failures. Um, and you know, one of the ways I really see God's hand in this is if you had put me on my first day or my first year in seminary, these are not the men I would have chosen to mm -hmm. be in community with, right? They're not the ones that I had either a natural affinity to, or we shared a lot of the same interests right away. But because we went through seminary together and because we were ordained at the same time, we've made this commitment that uh, walking through priesthood, we're going to be together and share our lives in a way that we we pray together, we laugh, we have a meal, we kind of celebrate important things together. Um, and that has been such a surprising blessing in my life that uh, it's not a community, it's a community that at times I was like, okay, well, this is what a good priest should do. So I'll do it rather than this is going to feed me, um, right. right? Like kind of obligation, uh, a sense of obligation. But leaning into it, uh, realizing that God has done awesome things uh, mm -hmm. through it and has strengthened me as a priest. It's not just something like mm -hmm. I'm here for all of you schmucks, you know, to help <laughs> you, but that God is pouring into me through them in a way that I would not have anticipated. Um, and I think that's what good community does. It calls us to be generous with others, but then we see the way God has used it for us. Yeah, absolutely. I can't think of any bad experiences of community. Like I'm just racking my brain. We just do it perfectly oh, in the church. <laughs> uh, I I don't know if there's. I thought you were a... serious for a minute. I'm like, okay, wow, that's what a beautiful, like, amazing. <laughs> um, no, but what what would be an area? Um, let's not say growth area. Let's not be so like um, polite about it. But things just we don't do well that. Uh, that we, you or I have experienced as a problem? Yeah, well, um, I think for me, what comes to mind was I was an undergrad. I'd been really involved in um, a Protestant group on campus, evangel just doing a lot of evangelism. And, you know, I'd been involved with it for many years. I was a leader in it. And it finally came to a point where they wanted me to teach something I didn't believe. And I'd, I'd never had to do that before. And I told them, you know, no, I could do all this other stuff, but I just, can't we just leave that out? And they're like, no. And so I really prayed about it. And I felt like, okay, then like, here's the line in the sand, you know? And so I had to leave and I was living with all my friends, everybody I knew, my all, my whole, my whole world really was um, friends from this group. And so, you know, I just felt led that like, that's it. That's uh that's it's, you know, the Lord's calling me somewhere else then, you know? And so I left and I found another group on campus that was, it wasn't a Catholic church, um, but it was a ministry that was really more Catholic friendly. And, you know, I knew a lot of good Catholics were involved. So I went there and, you know, I gave it three tries and, you know, what I experienced was clickishness, indifference, indifference to my presence. No one even spoke to me. I mean, I would come in and like, it gets awkward. Like when people are standing around and you're clearly not a part of the conversation, you know? And so, I mean, I, I gave it three tries. I really wanted to try to make it work. And I just, I just couldn't. And I, and I was really heartbroken about, you know, how hard I had been trying in this other group to like welcome people and like value everyone that walks in, no matter who they are, where they come from or what their story might be, you know, and 
anyway, so I, that was the whole, that's really all I can, but I, so I ended up finding community elsewhere, you know, I had to build it somewhere else, but I think, you know, a lot of the things that, even though that story, that experience for me wasn't in a Catholic church, I think a lot of what happened there wouldn't happen somewhere else, you know, like, sure. I mean, I've, I've seen people come into Catholic events or, you know, big things we're having or whatever, where, you know, people step in and then there's a clickishness, right? People look around and like, oh, I don't know that person, so I can't go talk to them or, um, yeah. or just, I'm not responsible for welcoming them. Maybe the leader of the event should go and do that, you know? Well, I think there's one way that happens too is, um, you know, part of the clickishness is we know how to do things. We know when to do it, how to do it. Um, and when new people come, especially to mass, they just don't know what to do sometimes. Now, it could be the particulars of our parish, like they don't know this is a little thing we do here. But it could also be um, someone just doesn't know how to act at church. Uh, there's a story I've shared a couple of times that I love, uh, I was at a parish once and I remember seeing this guy like three pews back, both arm, like it was the summer, he had short sleeves on, both arms were all tatted up, right? Nice. Tats up yep. and down, Mountain Dew bottle in his hand and ball cap on in church, nice. in mass. Mountain and I was Dew. like, okay. yeah, 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 he had it. I was like, yeah. what is this dude doing here? What is this yeah. guy here? Right. And I remember thinking like going through like, man, why is he here? Doesn't he know what to do? And then it just, it no, hit me this sense of yeah. conviction. Like, how would he know what to do if no one has kind of like yeah. walked him through and praise yeah. God that he's here. Yeah. So instead of me and my heart judging or kind of giving this whole rationale of, um, you know, all the things I see that he's doing wrong, um, like God is so happy he's here. And we need to, we need to help him like know how to be at mass, but that's got to be done out of a place of love and not out of a place yeah. of you're ruining our community, yeah, you're ruining you. our space. Oh, yeah. um, and I think yeah. that can be a real problem welcoming outsiders. Yeah, I think mass. it was Father James Mellon who said, unless there are a handful of F-bombs being dropped in the vestibules <laughs> before and after masses, we probably aren't doing community right. Yeah. Isn't that like a wildly paradigm shifting statement? But like, it's true, right? Who, who belongs? Right. Who belongs in our churches? Who belongs in this community? Well, who are our churches for? They're for yeah. not just the perfectly initiated. Yeah. Who show up dressed yeah. nicely on time and aren't irritating. <laughs> who among us could remain? <laughs> people who have all the social cues that make life convenient and comfortable for yeah. me. Um, that is such a non-Christian concept of community. Yeah. And I know I buy into it with, uh, you know, cultural forces or my own convenience or laziness. So did you want to touch on um, community in our ministry or should we jump into yeah. practicals? Well, yeah? I, well, let's take a minute to talk about it yeah. um, in, uh, in ministry. I've seen it work well, especially with men when they're doing things together, when there's an activity um, to, to do together. So, you know, just my limited experience, women are much better at just being together and sharing yeah. life together and talking. Uh, men often have to do things together. There's got to be some like excuse for it. Um, yeah. And I think of it as like, it's much more of a bank shot to build community among men. Like, hey, we need yeah. help doing these things. And while we're doing that together, we build up community. Um, so 
I think for, for building up community with men, having a project for them to do together uh, is, is one of the most helpful things. That, does that make sense? Have you seen yeah. that or? Oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I used to, when I was doing youth ministry, I'd give the, um, the small group leaders, the list of questions and I'd be like, okay, um, women, like you're leading girls groups, like here's the list of questions. Um, Hey guys, you're leading these, the guys groups. So if you could just read these questions and then can you just tell them like, I need all of this stuff moved. If you could just move all this stuff over there. I don't really need it moved, um, but I think it will right. help your small group. <laughs> like, are you serious? I'm like, I am. Yes, let's move it. They're yeah. like, okay. So they would have to just have the questions in their head and then take them out. Mm-hmm. You know? And then, yeah, the guys were able to engage. So yeah, I think that's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. I think that's How great. about for you? Yeah. I mean, I think in our, in ministry, I think events that are community generators, I think in some ways are surprising. Uh, and maybe this is, well, definitely this is only my experience, but I think we tend to have like a lot of different groups that are very pointed with a specific end. Like we're this group, we're this ministry, and we do this at this time. Um, but to have like bigger events or, or bigger ways that can we, that we can con- generate community where people can experience belonging before maybe they're all there on the belief and definitely before they're all there on the behaving. I think the more we can create spaces for those conversations to happen. I mean, again, like coffee and donuts, I think historically, I don't know what it was historically. I haven't seen it. I, when I was growing up, I didn't see it be like this incredible, like utopia for community and relationships. But I think with the proper people there, with the proper mindset, it really can be right. I was at, we were, I was doing one and there was a man sitting at one table all by himself. And, you know, you can see all the clicks happening around and you're like, I wonder if anyone's going to do anything, you know, and I want to do it, but I'm also already talking to this person I'm talking to now was also alone, you know, (laughs) so like, Anyway, and then you just see the people who step over and, yeah. and start the conversation. And these are the people we need to like give, we need to raise up more people like that, I think, for all of our events so that people can be known. Yeah. Yeah. The idea of community is for us to be fed, that we want to, um, we want people to have community so that they can grow, but to get out of everything in church being a consumer mentality. And so to say that, you know, okay, while you're being fed, you also have to have eyes and ears to see who's in need, who you need to help um, out there. And whether it's, you know, someone because of whatever social skills, you know, kind of puts them on the outside or they're new or who, you know, pick whatever reason we can see someone as, um, you know, maybe not the person that you would most want to reach out to talk to, uh, but to have the heart of Christ is to say, okay, I'm here not just for me, but I'm here so that God can use me. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. yeah. Lead, um, lead us, Beth, I'm the, gonna, the oh. star <laughs> of the podcast. What nonsense. All right. Lead kindly, well, Beth. as we get into like practical applications, right? Like what does it look like in your life, Father Steve? Or like, what would you encourage others? Like, what does it look like to live this out personally? Yeah, I, I think there's a couple of criteria I would set for, com- for community, for real authentic Christian communio. The first would be that we have the same goal. We're striving for the same thing. If we don't agree, we don't have to agree on every aspect, but we have to have a commitment to the same goal, which is I want to be a saint, right? And that can freak people out to use that exact terminology, but I want to be holy. I want to be a saint. I want to grow closer to Christ. Um, For me, the easiest way to say it is I want to be a saint. I want to give my life to the Lord. I want him to use me. And I know that's hard and I, I need help to do it. Um, so to commit to the same goal, whether it's a, a small group 
that you're forming mm-hmm. or whether it's a whole parish to say, what's the point of this parish? It's being committed to being saints. We want to be mm-hmm. saints here. Um, and then the second way that community forms with that same goal is people are willing to be vulnerable. I have to be vulnerable. Um, and you know, this is a word that can mean a thousand different things, right? I don't have to be this kind of pouring out every bad thing I've done in my life. I don't have to be a completely open book or, you know, the, uh, <laughs> there's a, uh, an SNL skit from a number of years ago, Debbie Downer, where oh, she's like, yeah. always sharing like yeah. the worst part right. of her life right. in every conversation. Like, right. that's not what it means to be vulnerable. <laughs> right. To be vulnerable means I'm honest about how I'm doing in my spiritual life. And the yeah. challenge is, as well as the successes, right? Like sometimes we're, we stink at talking about our successes as well. Um, but for community, personally, I think we need uh, a commitment to the same goal. And then we need to be vulnerable with each other. Those are the criteria I think are essential for building community. Um, I've talked with a lot of people, especially young people who say, I just don't have that in my life right now. And I want it. And so the first thing is to want it. Um, and then I would say three easy steps to, to going forward is uh, pray that God mm. brings you people to help you do this. Mm. Um, you know, whether you're a young person, a newly married couple, whether you're a new widow or whether you're kind of in the, in the middle, the prime of your, your life to say, I need people who are going to walk with me in my journey. And Lord, show me who those people are put them in my life or give me eyes to see them. Uh, so we need to pray for it. We need to seek them out. So put mm-hmm. ourselves in the situation where we'll find them, right? So if I say, I really want community in my life, and then I come to mass late and I leave early and I, you know, intentionally avoid everyone. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's like talking to a single person who says, I feel called to the vocation of marriage, but I'm not doing anything to put myself in the situation where I'm going to meet people who, you know, who are potential spouses. And then the third would be to take the first step. So pray for God to give you the opportunity, put yourself in the situation where you're, you know, you're, you're with like-minded people uh, and then take the first step. And usually that's an invitation to say, Hey, um, you know, my name is Steve and uh, Um, I I don't think I've met you before. What's your name? Or, you know, to, take a a little bit of a leap into Mm -hmm. the conversation uh, so that you can help build that community. So for the personal application of this, uh, um, to pray, to seek and put yourself in the situation and then take the first step. Um, I think that's the application for our personal lives, but you know, uh, our audience here is really people who work in the church too. So any ministerial application you'd have uh, for leaders in the church, Beth? I think especially as we're coming out of COVID, I think maybe this is an opportunity for us to, to, to be renewed in community and to invest ourselves more in creating community. So I think a, part, a big part of that ministerially is just creating an environment in our parishes where people are acknowledged and received, where people are not anonymous. You know, I can't go to the grocery store without a human being standing there acknowledging my presence and at least expressing verbally that they're some, in some way pleased that I've come. I mean, I've been a regular at some grocery stores and they'll ask me like, oh, where are your kids today? Oh, where's your daughter today? Like, these are just people at the grocery store, right? And yet I come to mass and so many churches, so many people come to mass and my presence is, goes completely unacknowledged, unobserved, right? 
whether I come or go or don't come or go, it seems it appears to be a matter of indifference to the people of God. We know yeah. that's not the case, right? Um, so how can we create an environment in which people are acknowledged and received? You know, and unleash the gospel. So, oh, you were going to say something. Yeah. Well, and why do you think that yeah. is? Do you think it's because we? you know, think mm -hmm. introverts are smarter and holier people. And so <laughs> we want to treat everyone like an introvert. Do you think it's because we're overworked and tired or we don't have the skills or we're scared? Any thoughts on why know. I'm that sure happens? partly we're scared. I'm sure now as Americans, individualism, we're not supposed to talk to each other anymore. It's considered rude. Um, but I, I wonder if it's possible that our great reverence for the sacraments in some way has gotten us here, mm. right? Our great reverence for the Eucharist that we don't come to mass to connect with people. We come for the Eucharist and what a beautiful, powerful thing that is. But is it possible that, that there's more? Not, I'm not saying the Eucharist isn't enough, but is it possible that in our humanity, Christ intended for us to have the Eucharist and a body of Christ around us in our brothers and sisters to walk with us through the joys and sorrows of life? Is it possible that that needs to be something we rediscover in our yes. modern individualistic moment? Yeah, it's the, it's the notion of the cross, right? That my life yeah. is is a relationship with God in the uh, what is that when it goes up vertical that's what it's called in the vertical dimension yeah. of the cross that you know uh, the mass is meant to relate me to God and that's yeah. the primary end of the mass to worship God and to be sanctified by that but that's not the only reason for the mass right like it yeah. we it's not just the me and God two step. Uh, is what one of our uh, one of the priests at the seminary used to talk about. There's the horizontal beam of the cross, which is me with other people in community. Uh, I love that passage you read from Unleash the Gospel that God relates to us as as a yeah. body. So I think you're right on. I I think it's not that we need to devalue devotion to the Eucharist. Certainly don't no. think it's that. But it's understanding the richness of the church's. Um, the people of God and yeah. not in just some theological sense, but in a very concrete sense, these people here, not this more perfect people I have in my mind, not the people who always <laughs> sing on cue or who never annoy me or, right. or whatever. Yeah. These people here are the people of God that, um, that God has put into my life. Yeah. I was reading anyway. more about just what, what's been written, you know, what are, what the church has written about community. And I found some document on fraternal life in community. It was written to the religious orders to like renew their understanding of community. And there, this one quote, I just it stayed with me. This is our highest vocation to enter into communion with God and with our brothers and sisters. It's got just that the vertical and the horizontal, right? So yeah. I just think there's something really powerful for us in ministry to rediscover that. And then a second ministerial application that I have sounds maybe odd, but I think committing to healthy relationships, the hmm. resolution of conflict and choosing to believe the best about one another. I we, was Ugh. just reporting some challenge in one, like it was not a turf war. Turf war is a very strong language for this. What it was, it was one group saying, Hey, shouldn't that group not be doing that? Cause isn't that our area? And um, one of our priests said, you know, I tell, un I, I tell people who aren't church people the sort of things that church people squabble about, and they just laugh and laugh. Yeah. And I thought, like, how sad, right? That, like, why are we doing, why are we doing that, right? There's got to be a commitment to resolving conflict. Um, and and I think the, I think the key, really, I think it's believing the best about each other, right? Because when mm -hmm. we get into like, you did that thing, and I bet you did it because of this. It's like, well, what an assumption. Maybe. 
maybe that's not what happened. <laughs> maybe we should believe that like you didn't even consider that maybe it would belong to this other group and you were just trying to do a good thing. And how can we do the good thing together? You know? Yeah. Well, and bringing that to light is how those conflicts get resolved. Because yeah. if you do something that annoys me and I never tell you about it and I just stew on it, right? Then I start to think about the 50 ways this this annoys me and the 50 ways you probably did this to be the awful person that I've created you to be in my mind. I know, it's so But bad. when I share it with you and you're like, yeah. uh, no, I just didn't think that, <laughs> you know, sorry. Yeah. There was a staff dispute at my last parish about dishes in the sink in the staff kitchen. Now, <laughs> it was just insane. And it just got so elevated. It was like, oh, my goodness, are we arguing about plates? Oh, <laughs> how did we get here? But it was a big problem, you know, which which the root of it was not believing the best about each other and not bringing the conflict out yeah. into the open to be resolved right away. And I think that has to happen both on like the staffing level and in our ministries. Right. And like, how do we model the healthy, healthy relationships, right? If our parishes are places of toxicity, then they're not going to be, that communio is going to be really stunted yeah. by all of that. Um, and then I it, just, my, yeah, yeah. If, and if we can't do that yeah. about dishes or about room <laughs> reservations, like we're never yeah. going to be able to do it about the crucial things. Like what's the best plan to help people encounter Jesus? Is it alpha? Is it something else? Yeah. Like, what's the strategy we want for the liturgy to reflect both the horizontal and the vertical dimension? If we can't resolve the small things, then we're toast on the most important things. Yeah, because there's already a lack of trust to get to the important things. And I think just as a last application for ministerial, I think developing friend-making ministries a lot of our, a lot, I've heard a lot of different parishes saying, oh, we just can't get volunteers for this. We can't get volunteers for that. And that, that can be the case, right? It's we, maybe we have, our dreams are too big for the people we have right now. Yeah. And that can happen. But I think also developing ministries in which people who participate make friends. Everybody wants to be a part of those kinds of ministries, you know? So like we had something like that, we called it the great big potluck and really everybody was there. Like it, it cost us nothing. Everybody was there. Everybody helped. Um, and people who came would maybe host a table and they would make friends. Young adults would come and make friends. Newlyweds would come and they would meet other newlywed couples and they would become friends. You know, yeah. I think that sort of thing, it moves our parishes to be more of what we should be to help people recognize that that we are each other's keeper. We are responsible yeah. for each other. So how do we live that out? That's great. Uh, friend making ministries, opportunities yeah. that we're building friendship together. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Let's talk about questions that we've been asked about this, um, about communi community. We're getting the uh, the timer count from Ron, our excellent producer, so telling us to keep it moving along. Keep moving. So mm -hmm. we'll take a few of these uh, before we wrap up here. Um, the first one I want to ask you about is how do people in ministry build friendships with each other um, without it being kind of a weird dynamic or without there being a, an issue there as we build those friendships? I think it's really important to have some friends who are also living on mission um, so that it's not just you. It's just, we were just talking the other day, a number of us about accompaniment and how beautiful accompaniment is and how draining it is. Um, one of our um, key staff was saying, you know, that accompaniment is so beautiful, so profound, and it's a real sacrifice, right? To be available to everybody who needs you, you know? And I was just thinking like, yeah, where are the people that are pouring into us in ministry, right? But it's because we're all, if we're all focused out and we're not pouring into each other either, you know, and yeah. you run out, you run out. Um, so I think um, finding some people who are also on mission, who know the Lord, who love him, who love his church, who want others to come to know that um, and walking with them, walking with each other, I think that can be just amazing. I think the other key 
for just building relationships with other people wherever they are in the journey is just not to make any assumptions. Make no assumptions about where mm. someone else is on their faith and just accept where they are um, and look for opportunities to encourage them. But I mean, I, you know, just being on staff at a parish and making friends at the parish, you know, here at other parishes, sometimes you'll make assumptions about someone like, oh, I bet you're all in. I bet like I met you here. So I bet that means this and this and this. And maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. Work, you right. know, so making room for people to be who they are and love each other anyway. I remember we got to hang out a bit in Indianapolis last two yeah. years ago now yeah. at uh, NCYC. NCYC, the National Catholic Youth Conference. Yeah. And that was um, just a, a great way to get to know you and some other people from our, around the archdiocese in a setting that uh, just leaves time for for that kind of a, I don't know if it, accompaniment might be too strong, but just wasting time with each other, exactly. right? Yeah, yeah I was just having breakfast. Together. You sat down. I continued to eat my breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Conversation yeah. ensues. <laughs> this is very human. Yeah. yeah. Any questions uh, you've gotten on this? I think uh, the question that seems to just keep coming up is how do we go from not having this culture of community to then having it, mm. you know, in our, in our churches and in our own mm. lives? What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, you talk about accompaniment being draining. I think changing culture is the <laughs> like structural way that yeah. we accompany, right? Talk about yeah. being draining to change the culture of an organization, whether that is the culture of a small group, the culture of a parish, the culture of an archdiocese or of a program. I mean, that doesn't just happen. Um, I, I think a few of the ways we we change this culture is by showing what we want it to be and why we want it to be that way, right? Like what we'll get out of it, what is the goal and why that goal is better, and then constant reinforcement. Uh, mm. You know, when you talk about ministry that we have to uh, kind of challenge each other about the parts of uh, not making assumptions and yeah. uh, leaning into conflict, that's part of changing culture too, to call out behaviors when they're counter to what we want them to be. And that's got to be done in love, but it's also mm -hmm. got to be done with, um, what's the nice way to say this, with courage, right? Yeah. And with directness. Uh, so when our parish is not welcoming new people, the pastor or someone needs to say something. It needs to not just kind of chastise, but to say, you know, what's our mission as a parish? It's to be... Mm -hmm. Uh, a place where Jesus can be encountered by everyone who comes here. You yeah. know, some people are not experiencing it this way. And this is the goal we have for it. And this is how we get there. We do it by being on the lookout for everyone who comes here uh, to say, is this someone I know? Have I met this person before? How can I be an ambassador for Christ? Uh, so I think it's by setting a goal, giving yeah. people the, the, the rationale for that goal, yeah. reminding people of this is what the goal needs to be, correcting behavior, and then yeah. um, to, uh, to just make a commitment to say, this is how we live that way. Uh, yeah. You know, one of the things I've thought about for ushers is an usher's prayer before usher or greeter before they get to mass, like, Lord, let me be the gateway, the bridge for people to encounter you. Give me eyes to see the people who need more attention um, so that I can be your hands and feet here. That's good. I think just making time for people, you know, yeah. arriving early, making small talk, wasting time together, you know, Yeah. I think it's so good. Well, we have wasted about 45 or 50 minutes well, together here. Well, let's stop wasting here. time. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, I meant that in the best sense. Beth. Oh, of course, of course, yes. <laughs> yeah. Beth, is there a, a favorite part of spring you have now that it's getting warmer? Um, a favorite, you know, kind of sign of spring uh, that you point to that you really appreciate this year? I'll say for me, it is opening day for baseball. There is no better mark that spring is here and the dark winter is behind us than hearing play ball, even if fans can't be in the stands the way they normally can. Spring is opening day for me. Nice, nice. Well, this is maybe on a much, much smaller level. I just want to put my swing out. I have a little bench porch swing and I just would like to put it out. I also have a hammock this year. I would like to put it out, but I keep being warned that oh, it's going to snow. It's still going to rain. Can't do it yet. So I'm just waiting. Okay. Like it's it coming. Out. I hope so. I'd like to put it out. Yeah. Thank you for joining us for today's Encounter Grow Witness podcast. Uh, be sure to like and subscribe on iTunes and Spotify and wherever you get your podcasts and join us next month. Bye.